Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with Justin Martinez and Barry Trammell on uh, the Sooners Extra podcast slash Twitter space. Thank you so much for joining us. And this uh, Bedlam week, uh, Justin, and uh, certainly not the uh, Bedlam week that we expected, really from either side, but uh, certainly uh, from the OU side. Uh, but, uh, you know, certainly a, a big one, not only for what this means in the state, but what it could mean for the rest of OU season. You know, when you think about what we heard from Brent Venables, what we heard from Jeff Levy and Ted Roof on Monday and, and players uh, Monday night, what was the thing that most stood out to you about the way the team uh, and the coaches have reacted to, uh, you know, what's uh, transpired here? I mean, clearly from everything that they've been saying, their whole mantra is finishing strong you know where obviously this season has been a disappointment at five and five not so many people expected them to be in this position but I mean at the end of the day there is still value in becoming bowl eligible you know we talked about that with with Venables the coordinators the playoffs I mean the the uh, players you know you get to to end the season with some momentum essentially you know and that could be a momentum for the current guys on the roster and that could be momentum for the transfer portal for the recruiting trails, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's definitely value in that. And that's kind of just what they've really been trying to embrace is just trying to, to finish strong. Now, granted, they've been saying that for the past few weeks and still they've, they've lost some games, but I mean, it seems like that's still their, their mindset down the stretch here. Yeah. We'll, we'll get back to, to that topic here in a second, but Barry, for you, it seemed like to me, Brent Venable's tone was quite a bit different uh, on Tuesday than what we've seen from him uh, over the last few weeks, not only in his Tuesday press conferences, but certainly was different in a different way than what we heard after the game on Saturday in Morgantown. What stood out to you about that and the way Brent Venables uh, seems to be reacting to things right now? Well, I thought he was – Less defiant in Morgantown, and I would say that carried over to Tuesday or to yeah to Tuesday in Norman. I think more resigned to what this team is. Um, clearly, you know this this is a this is a team that needs to win a game and get to a bowl game just for the practice time. But you know, I think Brent sort of has come to grips with. The, the limitations of this team and, and the fairly low ceiling that it has. So uh, he, he's clearly uh, looking to the future. I don't know if that's in practice, but he was much more uh, agreeable to talk about, um, you know, the decisions making, decision making for the future, whether it's the portal um, or, you know, what guys have to do in terms of decisions to be made. So I think the weight of the season, it's hadn't just fallen on 
him. It's fallen on everybody associated with OU football. And I think he's just to the point where he's not fighting it anymore. He just sort of knows that this is who they are and they got to deal with it and get about the business, not of saving this season, but get about the business of, of setting up for the future. Yeah. Barry, let's stick with you on this. Um, you know, often the, uh, the uh, first step in uh, progress is accepting reality. And, uh, you know, it's, it seems like that's certainly, as you mentioned, sort of the, the process that Brent Venables has gone through. What to you is the most important part of that? And, you know, what are some areas, especially when you talk about the, the limitations of this team and, and the transfer portal in particular, you know, what are the, the biggest areas where, where you feel like they can uh, start to make some progress there as they uh, begin looking forward? Well, I think, I think Brent, and I don't have great evidence that this is happening, but he's always played down the portal to some degree. And that's dangerous, I think, for anybody in 2022, because I think it's become such a major part of what, uh, of how you build a, a program these days. But he, he was a little bit more eager to, or willing to discuss it, uh, admit that they need to go get some portal players. Um, but I think clearly that's going to be one way I mean, the same things—the same things that draw high school kids to Oklahoma would draw portal players in terms of the stage and the profile and the tradition, all those things. So he's he's going to have to embrace the portal. I don't know if he's if he's come to realize that or not, but it's true. That's just that's the way team structured rosters these days. So that's that's the solution. That's one of the solutions. All the things he talks about, player development and culture, all those things, that's still true. But, man, it's 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 a case of the portal is just this huge – it's this huge place where you can get talent. And, you know, when it comes to – when it comes to college football, OU is not a small market team. I mean, OU is one of the haves, not one of the have-nots. This would be like – you know, one in in the NBA or the NFL, one of the one of the marquee franchises saying, "Ah, we don't really see ourselves as a free agent destination." Well, that's nuts. Um, of course, they are, and OU should be too. So, I think that's what needs to happen is is first and foremost acknowledge that the portal is someplace you've got to be. Yeah, it's certainly a start, and and, and Justin, they didn't back away from the portal in the offseason, went out and got, you know, quite a few guys, obviously Dylan Gabriel at the top of that list, but uh, you know, tried to help their secondary there with C.J. Colden and, and Trey Morrison, Kenai Walker, uh, Jeffrey Johnson on the defensive line, and, and on and on. But that, they, that portal, those portal guys really, for the most part, haven't made a, a massive impact really outside of obviously Dylan Gabriel and uh, the success that he has, even though I know there's some uh, Sooners fans who get restless about that, mainly just because he's not, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, uh, Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts. 
Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he's been really one of the few transfers, like you said, newcomers have really managed to provide some production. I mean, just looking at the list for for the rest of the guys, you know, we haven't seen much of a guy like Jeffrey Johnson, who's expected to have more of an impact on the defensive line, jo- Jonah Loalu as well. Um, you know, there really hasn't been much on the offensive side of the ball either. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, they haven't been able to hit as much or they weren't able to hit as much, but, I mean, obviously, like Barry said, it, it plays such a big factor, and a key part of that is just acknowledging the importance of it and the fact that that's how you build programs nowadays, you know? I mean, you're bringing in guys who can help you win right now as opposed to, you know, leaning entirely on some of the young guys that you bring in via the recruiting trail. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely plays a big factor, and we'll see what they're able to bring in this time around. Yeah, they're certainly going to have to hit that hard, but they're still, uh, you know, a good chunk of the season – uh, left and obviously this week Bedlam against Oklahoma State and uh, next week in the finale against Texas Tech. Uh, Barry, we've seen what OU has struggled with as far as backup quarterbacks this year. We've seen what they've struggled with as far as uh, mobile quarterbacks this year. Uh, we, we saw Oklahoma State get uh, Spencer Sanders back. It sounds like he's going to play uh, the way that he was talking uh, Saturday, just how dangerous is he for the Sooners when you look at, you know, some of the, the elements that they've, uh, you know, really had problems with this season? Well, Spencer Sanders, when healthy, is one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12. Um, just a, a supreme player. Now, he's been hurt since – at least the middle of the year, maybe even before that. Um, so now he's he's as much of an inspirational, comforting leader as he is a as a, uh, a dynamic playmaker. Um, unless he's you know, unless the time off he has transformed him. But he's a guy you know when when OSU's playing Gunnar Gundy or Garrett Rangel, defenses get really confident. But when Spencer Sanders is out there. All of a sudden, it all changes. So, um, you know, the Sooners going to have a difficult time winning if, if Garrett, if uh, Spencer Sanders is a quarterback. He's uh, a supreme experience. This is his fourth season as the starter. Been in a bunch of big games, uh, Big 12 championship game, Notre Dame Fiesta Bowl, uh, Bedlams. I mean, this is a guy that's just, you know, been in the fire and performed quite uh, quite well most of the time so he's a difference maker the uh the Sooners will have trouble containing him we saw what happened with Garrett Green West Virginia's backup quarterback on Saturday Sooners didn't really slow him down and he was a guy that's not all that talented um, Spencer Sanders a lot more talented than that if he's the least bit healthy he's going to do some damage to Oklahoma's defense yeah, Barry. We saw we, he's he's played in this game the last uh, couple of years, but hasn't made. Uh, you know, in in twenty twenty, it was ten and nineteen, but for less than a hundred yards. Uh, you know, last season a whole lot better, nineteen to thirty. Uh, did throw a couple interceptions uh, against the Sooners. How much different of a player is he uh, now this year than you know what he's been in those past Bedlam games? Well, he's better. This is the best he's played this year. He's making fewer and fewer 
throwing mistakes. He's always been a dynamic runner. Um, he's had some picks this year, but for the most part, he's made the right decisions. He hasn't made a bunch of bad throws. He's been hit some, you know, that kind of thing as he's as he's thrown. He's his interceptions this year, not not much in the way of bad decisions, more along the lines of the situation just disintegrated with the pass rush, those kinds of things. So he's he was fortified by that Fiesta Bowl. If you want to go back and look at his statistics in that Fiesta Bowl against a very good Notre Dame defense, you'll be very impressed. Um, just, uh, you know, exquisite production, great efficiency. He was an elite quarterback. And when he's been healthy, he's been, he's been largely that this year. Now he got banged up and it's a disaster at K-State, and then he doesn't play against Kansas and all those things. But he's been, you know, he – he was hurt already when they went to TCU to, on some level, and the Cowboys get off to the big lead, 24-7. to seven. He runs for two touchdowns. So this is a guy that's, this is a, guy that's a difference maker, and he's, play, he's playing really well when healthy. But, again, who knows about exactly what's going on with his health. It's, it's a little bit of a mystery. Yeah, we'll see that. Barry mentioned the uh... – the uh, game against Notre Dame, the bowl game last year, 34-51, 371 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Oh, and he also had 125 yards rushing. So, uh, it's 500 it, yards of offense. <laughs> yeah, it's in, it's he had an insane game, like you mentioned, against a defense that had been pretty good. So, it, you know, if he's anything close to that kind of player, the Sooners are certainly going to have their, their handful – on uh on saturday justin when you look at this matchup what what to you is uh the the key for the sooners defensively in trying to slow down uh, oklahoma state's offense whether that's uh you know under spencer sanders which it likely will be or uh you know anything else yeah i mean i i probably sound like a broke river because i've been saying it over the few past few weeks but they've got to get pressure up front i mean that's just what it all starts and obviously they've had their struggles this group has throughout conference play but at least in the early going you know when when JT Daniels is out there against West against West Virginia they were able to get some better um some more pressure so there's something you can try to build off there but yeah I mean they're just gonna have to be able to to create some problems up front and that's something they just haven't been able to do consistently yeah but Barry it it doesn't seem like they trust uh, those that pass rush to to really get after quarterbacks when you've got somebody who can move. We saw just how different not only the production but the game plan was when when uh, uh, you know West Virginia uh, switched quarterbacks. How do you think it is? What's the best way for the Sooners to attack that Oklahoma State offense and and try to have a little bit of success and and slow them down? I don't think I'd recommend a lot of blitzing because, you know, I charted the blitzes the other day in West Virginia, and two or three of Garrett Green's big runs came when the Sooners blitzed. And when you, when you blitz, if he gets around it or through it, usually it was around it, but if you, if you evade the blitz, there's no containment and off to the races. And Spencer Sanders is a lot better runner than Garrett Green. So um, I would uh, – I. Minimize the blitzing. I think I, I think I would just try to, I think I would just try to rush four and and see what happens. OSU's receivers are not elite compared to what we've seen over the years. They don't have a star, 
you know, OSU for two decades, it seems like. Sean Woods, uh, Darius Bowman, uh, James Washington, Tylen Wallace, uh, Des Bryant, just one Justin after another. Blackman. Justin Blackman, the best of all. So just they don't have anybody like that. So I don't know that you have to intently game plan for that. You have to game plan for Sanders. I'd try to keep him in the pocket best you can and, and take your chances with a, a secondary that's actually played better than maybe we thought. You know, that seemed like the sooner weak spot coming into the year, right? Yeah. And it's actually been better than the linebackers and probably better than the line. So that might be my suggestion. I'm not any kind of defensive whiz, but that might be my suggestion. Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt they've been the best group. And, you know, a little bit surprising that they've held up maybe uh, as well as they have. I know, you know, obviously they, they would like to be better, but given all that they've lost uh, injury-wise, especially all that they were without on, on Saturday, it seems like they ha- they have held up. They've been able to, uh, you know, turn in some pretty decent interception numbers. Uh, especially in uh, over the last uh, few weeks, uh, there with uh, you know what is it uh, eight interceptions over the last five games, uh, you know seven of those in the last four. So uh, you know really done a decent job there uh, on the back end. But uh, Justin uh, shifting over uh, to the other side, Oklahoma offensively in this game. You know, to me, one of the biggest things for them is just to to have the good Marvin Mims. When he's on, when he's able to catch the ball, uh, which has been a bit of an issue, the Sooners' offense is really, really good. When he hasn't, uh, they can struggle a little bit. And we've seen sort of a, a Jekyll and Hyde type uh, performances from him, uh, you know, really all season. Yeah, I mean, he's the biggest threat in terms of, the deep ball, which hasn't been very consistent for OU. So surely his, his inconsistency is inconsistency is tied to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sure, if they're able to get him going, especially downfield with some big plays that really frees everything else up, you know, it makes it easier for Eric Gray on the ground because the defense has to respect that more. So yeah, I mean, I think a big part of that is Marvin Mims. Also just Dylan Gabriel plays a role in that as well. Obviously his accuracy, he's definitely, Hasn't had um, – he's had some passes that he definitely could have been throwing better, and they're going to be looking for him to just be a little more efficient, which is really what he was out of the gates this season. So as long as he's playing just efficient, clean football, and they're able to get Marvin Mims involved, you already know what you're going to get out of a guy like Eric Gray on the ground. I think that's probably their their best bet to have a chance this weekend. And, Barry, going into the season, we all thought that – Marvin Mims was their best offensive football player. I think that that dynamic has changed a little bit over the course of the season, you know, for the good performance of Eric Gray and, and uh, some of that inconsistency that we've seen from Marvin Mims. What do you, what do you feel like has been behind that? And is it possible for that to, to shift here over the, the, the next couple of weeks as uh, the season winds down? I've only got one complaint with, with Marvin Mims, and that's catch the ball. Just catch the ball. You know, Mim seems like a solid dude. It doesn't seem like he's fallen into the trap of wide receiver prima donna, which can happen to a lot of these guys. But he's got to catch the ball. 
And, you know, if you don't catch it in traffic, okay. I'm not, you know, we're not going to come down on you. But he's dropping wide. He's, he's dropping screen passes. He's dropping deep balls. He's got to cut that out. I mean, OU wins that game the other day. Dylan Gabriel threw that that beautiful uh, deep ball that would have been a touchdown, and Mims is in the clear and drops it. You can't do that. So, um, I don't. Uh, I assume we've seen him catch it in the past. So I assume something mental's going on. I don't know, but yeah, he's he has uh, fallen in status in terms of this OU offense. Um, you would now say Eric Gray's their best player, and if it's not him, it's Braden Willis or. If you want to go to the line, Anton Harris even is is above that. So, very disappointing for, year for Marvin Mims. It started well before Morgantown, but it sort of exasperated in Morgantown. It sort of came to, to a full full light of you know this guy's just not producing the way he should. Yeah, I'd be mean, really you know you think about the way that uh, things went uh, in Ames for him now they were able to obviously overcome that and and Jalil Farouk's you know great day uh helped that out there but Marvin Mims the, the TCU game had that fumble uh really early that you know started the path down oh this this could be a long day uh for the Sooners and it's, it's been you know sort of uh, on and on for him but it seems like he has kept uh, you know ke- sort of kept his head up and it kept a, a, a positive uh, outlook on things. We'll see if he's able to uh, turn that around. But they really need to get him going, both for what he is and for that that relief that Justin was talking about to uh, Eric Gray. Because Gray has been fantastic, but uh, certainly the more space that he has to work, the more effective he can be. And uh, if they get Marvin Mims going, that – uh, opens the field up for uh, for Eric Gray uh, t- to work there. Uh, Barry, sticking with or no, Justin, we'll, we'll go to you for this one. Uh, you know, we heard you ask the question yesterday uh, about injury updates with Justin Broyles and, and Andrew Rame, uh, Jalen Redman, who we only saw for three plays on Saturday. I honestly didn't realize that he had played that little. Uh, in the game until you know, looking at the uh, the numbers afterwards. One, I thought Brent Venable seemed to be more open about talking about what was going on. I don't know if that's just a matter of acknowledging some of the the uh, hurdles that they have to overcome. But uh, when you look at all those guys who've been banged up recently, Justin Broyles, Andrew Rame, Key Lawrence, Jaden Davis. Uh, all out Saturday against West Virginia or missed a significant chunk of the game. Who do you use the most important one for uh, the Sooners to get back this weekend? Well, Andrew Rame, I feel like out of the, out of everybody, I trust his, I trust the, I trust the depth there a little bit more, you know, with Robert Conjol, he's able to give you some solid enough production. So I think it's going to be in the secondary um, you know, they talked about Jaden Davis coming back, Key Lawrence coming back. Justin Broyles, I mean, is a guy who's done everything for them. Also, there's obviously the impact that he has off the field. So I would probably lean towards him as, as the guy that I think having him back might not only he might not only help production wise, but also just momentum wise, something the team can really rally around, especially with this being senior night for them and him being a redshirt fifth year senior. I think 
that might be something that might be a bit of a morale boost and also a boost on the field for them. What about you, Barry? And and, and were you surprised to hear him say that Justin Broyles uh, was likely to be back this weekend? I think a lot of us that were there in Morgantown felt like you know we were seeing the end of uh, Justin Broyles on the field for the Sooners. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? You know, it's a hyperextension. That's the same thing that we saw out of Jason Taylor at the end of the Texas game up in Stillwater a few weeks ago. People thought, oh, it's bad, looks terrible, he's probably out um, for the year. But he comes back and even plays the next week. So um, I, I don't know anything about hyperextensions, but it appears that it's a bad-looking injury, but one that is sort of temporary in terms of the damage or the you know the the – the long-term consequences. So um, when I, when I found out it was an extension, I thought immediately of Jason Taylor, he came back and played and it's great news to hear that, that Justin Broyles facing the same thing. Uh, Taylor was not a hundred percent, did not play the whole game, but was able to go for a while. I think it's quite possible. We could see the same thing out of, out of Justin Broyles. The Sooners will need uh, as it seems like maybe as much his leadership as anything, um, a guy that can, you know, do a lot of things, can sort of uh, settle the troops down, be a, sort of a quarterback, perhaps, if you will, of the of the secondary. So I think that was very good news for the Sooners. Would you agree with Justin there on the assessment of him being the most important of those guys to get back? Oh, yeah, it sounded like Conjol played pretty good at center. Um, yeah, at least the and, – and certainly the PFF numbers sort of bore that out. That yeah, and, um, and who else are, Who else is on the list then? Um, yeah, had Key Lawrence and Jaden Davis out uh, in the secondary there. I'm probably not going to get too many followers on this, but I actually think Key Lawrence has been a pretty good player um, over two years. I know he's had some mistakes and some not – perfect games but I, I i would think they would miss him the ou corners like we said have been playing pretty good so i don't know that i think they could probably live without jordan davis but i mean Jaden davis but um I th- i'd probably say key lawrence because I, I think he's a little bit of a playmaker and somebody they can probably use saturday against against the cowboys yeah, I think that's certainly uh, – I, I wouldn't argue with there. Now, I can speak on hyperextensions. I've, I've not hyperextended uh, my leg the way that uh, Justin Broyles did, but when I was a kid, hyperextended my, my elbow, uh, arm sort of falling and, and stretching out uh, to, to brace myself. And I can, sp- I can tell you it hurts like crazy initially. Um, I, I thought I'd broken something. I, you know, couldn't hardly move it at all. Um, made the ridiculous decision to try to play baseball first base with it, and I couldn't even catch the ball uh, with with any kind of straightening out of my arm uh, without uh, sort of yelping in pain. But uh, it did go away quickly. Uh, you know, a day or two later, it was it was like it never happened almost. So I, you know, I clearly. Um, you know, it's a little bit different at this level. Uh, you know, who knows how close he'll be uh, to 100%, but I can certainly speak to the fact that it hurts like crazy initially, and you think it's a whole lot worse, and then all of a sudden 
uh, it's uh, you know markedly better fairly quickly. Yeah, I I, if I've hyperextended anything, I don't know. I didn't know it. So, uh, um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged that he's going to be able to play. I, I, I'll put it that way. Yeah, certainly a good sign uh, uh, f- for the Sooners. Um, Barry, sticking with you uh, there, you know, early on we talked about uh, the Sooners t- wanting to, to finish strong. That's been a, a constant theme over the last few weeks as the reality has set in over, you know, what, what exactly this team sort of is. Um, I wrote about this this week, the, the, the importance of them, you know, getting bowl eligibility for, for all of the reasons that I think you mentioned earlier, but how, how big is that? Do you feel like for the development of this program in the future uh, to, to reach that milestone and, and get uh, whether it's that extra time or, or any of the other factors that, uh, you know, would be beneficial by uh, earning that bowl trip. Well, I mean, let's just, let's be honest. You know, there are bad seasons, there are disastrous seasons, and then there's Oklahoma not making a bowl game. I mean, that's preposterous to anybody who thought about it back in August or September, or frankly, any time in the last 24 years. And for the Sooners to to go belly up and finish on a four-game losing streak, um, that would – would be do a lot of damage to um, to Brent Venables' administration, to the Sooners trying to rebound from what is now considered a bad year, to the uh, you know the efforts to to be SEC ready for you know twenty twenty five when they go into that conference. All those things would take a major step back by but with a five and seven bowlless season. So. Uh, I mean, just think about how things are going to be different. Let's say if, if the Sooners lose to OSU, lose at Texas Tech, five and seven, no practice, no nothing. Yeah, you get to hit the recruiting trail, but you're going to have to talk to a bunch of kids that's saying, what's going on in Norman? Compare that to a team that finishes strong, wins Bedlam, wins at Lubbock, two games that are tough to win. But you win those, you're seven and five. Hey, Bob Stoops' first season at OU was seven and five. Um, now, Stoops compare Stoops' year one to what the previous. It was fantastic. Compare uh, Brent Venables' first year at seven and five to what's been in previous years. Not very good. But it's a vastly different. I mean, if OU if OU somehow can win these two games, win a bowl game, they're eight and five. Now not a good year it's not a it's certainly not a acceptable year it's not a terrible year so you might even argue it's not a bad year so i think i think it's massive difference so you know they're not going to be easy cowboys are, are, are a good team heck they're ranked they're right they're in the top 25 according to the college football playoff committee they've had some stumbles but they've they've gotten a lot done and over the course of the season, they've done more than the Sooners. They've proven themselves to this point to be a better team. But if you win that game and you win Tech, all of a sudden, it, it, and it also just adds a lot of optimistic spirit. It just makes everybody feel better. And you know, go, in, go into the offseason five and seven with a 
four game losing streak would just you know, that would linger for a long time, maybe you know well into well into next September. Yeah, Barry, and and we've seen when the the Sooners have just sort of edged into a bowl game, haven't had the kind of seasons that they want. Now, obviously, ninety nine and into 2000 was a little bit different like you said because they hadn't been in uh you know the previous four seasons make the independence bowl there's some excitement there heading into the 2000 season we know what kind of turnaround happened there but you know even uh you know the couple times they've they've stumbled uh you know 2009 when they were eight and five they get to the sun bowl and, and turn things around make the fiesta bowl win the fiesta bowl uh that Next year, uh, you know, 2004 into 2005, um, or, or excuse me, was it 2005 into 2006 as they, they make the Holiday Bowl and then get to the Fiesta Bowl. And then, uh, you know, obviously we know the differences in, in 14 and 15 with uh, Lincoln Riley and company uh, coming in. But but still, you know, some of the, those same uh, reasons. So uh, it, there's no doubt that it can be a springboard into – uh, making something positive of a season that uh, you know has been hard to make a lot of positives with. Yeah, it's just you know when you're having this kind of season, you look for any sign of positivity. You look for any sign of progress, and frankly, winning these two games would be progress. Either one. Right now, OU's best win is Kansas. The Jayhawks are the only team above 500 that Oklahoma's beaten. Um, I don't know what Texas Tech will be when they play next week. They'll either be six and five or five and six. But OSU is is a solid seven and three. They had TCU on the ropes. They lost one game without their quarterback, and then they lost a game uh, that was a total dud, just a total meltdown. So uh, it's a team that beat Texas. Uh, this is a team that uh, beat Baylor, and neither one was a fluke. So they're a good, solid football team. And if you beat them, that's a sign of progress. Yeah, it certainly would be. You know, it's, it hadn't been very often that that Oklahoma State has come into this game as uh, the, the one team uh, that was ranked in this matchup. It hadn't come very often that uh, – you know, the Cowboys have, have uh, even been ranked ahead of the Sooners in this game. But uh, certainly uh, that'll be the case on, on Saturday at 630 uh, down there in, in Norman. Uh, Justin very touched on the rankings. And, you know, we got a chance to see uh, the, the committee's uh, rankings last night. Oklahoma State, like Barry said, moved into the rankings. Uh, Texas dropped out. What, uh, what to you stood out? about uh you know what we saw from the committee last night i don't know if too much really changed i mean i saw the i believe the top i don't have it in front of me but the top five are still the same right with tennessee right outside and yeah the first the first uh bit of movement there was uh, lsu going up to to number six with oregon uh dropping down to 12 Right. Yeah. I think Barry had mentioned it last week. I mean, Oregon was in a position where if it had won out and won its conference title game, it definitely would have had a strong case. So they've dropped down since then. USC is still in a position where I believe they can uh, clinch a spot in their conference title game this week uh, if they're able to beat UCLA. So they still have 
a fighting chance as well. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's those top four teams that are still undefeated. TCU still in a really good position as long as it can win out. So I guess this is sort of my my general takeaways from it. What about you, Barry? We got to watch. Uh, uh, had to wait a little bit last night with uh, the fantastic ending there between Michigan State and Kentucky uh, in, in double overtime there. But you know, once we finally saw the, the committee's rankings, what uh, what was your takeaway? Oh, a couple of things. Um, I was impressed that they have LSU ahead of a couple of one loss teams, USC and Clemson. I was not impressed that they have USC ahead of Clemson. By no stretch of the imagination can you declare that USC has a better resume than Clemson. So that's got me a little concerned that they're they're looking for flash and 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 uh, sizzle rather than what a team has actually done. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd put Utah in the same conversation. I know that Utah obviously has the two losses, but right, yeah. It, and when I, you look at resume, yeah, USC still does not have a, a great win or a, a, a top twenty type win. They don't have yeah, their best Oregon wins. State's their best win, right? Oregon State, their best win. So um, now USC is going to make up for it in the next couple of weeks. They got Notre Dame and UCLA, UCLA and Notre Dame, but I just you know that that kind of thing bothers me. Uh, I and I remain mostly dismayed at the fact that they've got Tennessee below Ohio State and Michigan and TCU for that matter. Tennessee should be ranked number two. They got two outstanding wins, Alabama and LSU. They got two top two top ten wins. One of them was on the road, and they're being pun, uh, punished because they happen to have Georgia on the schedule. Ohio State hasn't played Georgia. Michigan haven't hasn't played Georgia. Uh, they, frankly, Michigan has one good win, Penn State. Ohio State has two good wins, Notre Dame and Penn State. But they have zero great wins. Tennessee's got two. So when the committee starts valuing, starts rewarding victory as much as they penalize loss, it's going to be a very good day in college football. But we're a long way from that. Yeah, I I completely agree with you uh, there. I, I think uh, you know Tennessee is certainly undervalued uh, there uh, for that reason, and I I do wish that they would you know th- th- look at that a little bit differently. Um, you know, clearly you've got to to win games, and and that's important. But also, uh, you know, look at the whole the whole picture of how those things came together and um you know i think the committee has done a better job than uh you know in the past when you look about the 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 way that things were determined the, the media poll and things like that i think there's still a lot of folks who vote in the uh those polls the ap poll specifically that um just you, you automatically move people drop people a certain amount of spots with losses, drop them, raise them up a certain amount of spots with wins and uh, don't take the time to look at the totality of resumes and resumes change weekly. Uh, You know, uh, a a win that looked like a really good win early in the season might not look like as good of a win uh, late in the season. And I think people sort of uh, take those things as, as snapshots uh, a a lot of the time and, and value those wins equally uh, the entire way and you know clearly 
you know, in my mind, TCU is a team, for instance, that uh, is going to have a chance to, to make the playoff. But, uh, you know, I, I don't have them uh, in that spot currently in the rankings just based on uh, the resume that's ahead of us. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's just a different way of looking at things. And, uh, you know, certainly the committee has taken a little bit different approach than uh, traditional rankings, but still not quite there, I think, as far as uh, how to view things. Well, let's uh, uh, wrap this up by giving some predictions for, for Saturday. And, uh, you know, we'll start, to start, Justin, with you. How do you think this game is going to unfold? And, uh, you know, what's your score? Yeah, I think it's going to be a close one just with it being a rivalry game. And obviously, OU is going to be desperate to try to finish strong and become bowl eligible. So I think they're going to have a fighting chance. But I am going with OSU in this one. Um, Just with Spencer Sanders back in the mix, I figure they're going to go back to what we'd seen out of them earlier in the season uh, before his injury. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the... Uh, with the Cowboys here, 35 to 28 will be my score prediction for this one. Oh, you're uh, stretching it out a little bit there from uh, what you had in the paper, but uh, close to it, right? I think I did that one about 15 minutes before our print deadline, so that was pretty much just – Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I got you. Do you know what I have by any chance? Yeah, 34 to 28. So you were, you were really close. Okay. Okay, there we go. So it, it hasn't changed too much. You know, yeah. the, the betting line changes on a day-to-day basis. So mine is yeah. just slightly. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Barry, I guess before we get to your prediction, were you surprised to see the line on this game? No, because we've had a very solid model with Texas Longhorns. Um, Texas has been consistently favored in games – that either they shouldn't be favored in or by much more than they should be. They were a seven-point favorite against TCU. And if you if you just look at the common opponents throughout the year, there was not any question who played better. But the American better, especially the uneducated American better, migrates to name-brand teams. So um, somebody like Texas is always going to get uh, inflated on the point spread, and the same thing with Oklahoma this week. So, um, I, I'm not surprised that the Sooners are, are favored um, over OSU. I'm picking OSU for what I just said. I just just compare the the opponents. Um, some, you know, Sooners have fared better against some. Cowboys better against others, but they've got six common opponents, um, and they don't. Uh, and OSU has the advantage. OSU's played better against the majority of those opponents than has OU. So to me, that's a sign that the Cowboys are the better team. I'm picking OSU in a tight one, 31-29. Yeah, most of us uh, went with the, uh, a close one in this one, just uh, looking at the scores of a, a couple of folks who aren't here on the podcast. You know, Jenny, Carlson went 38-31 OSU. Uh, Jacob Unruh, OSU rider, 44-41 OSU. Uh, and then Scotty Wright, uh, the, the other OSU beat rider, 33-30 Cowboys. But uh, I, I'm going to stick with that trend there and, and go with the Cowboys for all the, the, mention, the reasons that both Justin and Barry mentioned. I, I just think it's hard to, 
to see them really making life difficult on Spencer Sanders. I know that he is not a hundred percent and, uh, you know, don't think he's going to put up just absolutely. He's not going to, I don't think he's going to be Adrian Martinez against the Sooners, but I think he's going to be able to be really effective. And I think it's going to be tough for that Oklahoma defensive line to really get after him. If the Sooners are going to win, they're going to have to uh, force some turnovers in bunches. I think they've got to get Eric Gray going. We've seen what kind of player that he's been, you know, the biggest uh, four game stretch for an OU running back since uh, Samaj P Ryan, uh, which included the, the 427 yard uh, NCAA record game in that uh, that span so it's been a while since OU's had a running back be this effective which for the ones that they've had in that span is is saying something but I, I think uh, and Dylan Gabriel again has to uh, avoid uh, big mistakes they need Marvin Mims to uh, come up with some big plays there but it's hard to think all of those things falling into place and if all those things don't fall into place then I think you just go to Who's the better team overall? And as Barry said, the Cowboys have proven to be that over the course of the season. So I'm picking the Cowboys to win in this one, 35 to 32. I think it's going to be another decently high-scoring game, but it's going to be close to the end. But Oklahoma State uh, finds a way to win, and the Sooners have to go uh, into the last week of the regular season hoping for uh, a victory in Texas Tech at Texas Tech to uh, earn a bowl berth and uh, keep that streak going. Only Georgia has a longer bowl streak, so that would uh, certainly uh, be be a tough measure for the Sooners. But you know, we'll see how this goes on Saturday. Again, six thirty in Norman on ABC. We'll be down there, and we'll be back uh, after the game to break down all things Bedlam, how it went, what went right for the Sooners, what went wrong uh, in Bedlam. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out our work every day at oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anywhere. Have a great week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.